Hello, Pacers fans, and welcome into another edition of the Sideline Guys, powered by GameBridge, alongside Jeremiah Johnson. I'm Pat Boylan. We are right up to the All-Star break as we are recording this. We usually do on Tuesdays when we can. One more Pacers game before we hit the All-Star break. And then, uh, as we talked a little bit about last week, it then becomes kind of a furious finish. I feel like we regularly reference on this podcast that the two-thirds mark of the season. Well, it's really the three-fourths, the three-quarters mark of the year will be through almost about 60 games, uh, 60 games of 82, at least for the Pacers, will be done. So it even becomes, I guess, a more uh, fast and furious finish down the stretch. JJ, the all-star break, I guess, coming at an interesting time here. Sometimes it comes when you're playing well and you don't want it to come. On the other hand, the Pacers have struggled. They've lost five in a row as of taping this. I think the level of play since Tyrese Halliburton has come back has certainly taken a step forward, but it hasn't translated into the amount of wins the team would obviously like. And I asked this question to Aaron Neesmith after the game, and and I still kind of go back and forth on it. On one hand, maybe this is the perfect time for the All-Star break to hit to just kind of put a pause on things, allow a reset and a regroup. But I'm also not sure you want to go into the All-Star game losing streak either, which maybe then places some more importance on this game Wednesday against the Chicago Bulls, a team that you're battling with. Um, But a whole lot has changed in the last month from a Pacers perspective, and it'll be just uh, 22 games to go once we get out of that All-Star break. I find myself struggling a little bit with why they've they've had such difficulty closing out games because they are relatively healthy right now. And you could look back to we, we continue to have that benchmark of that winning eight of 10 from late December to early January as the best version of this team. And now that Tyrese is back and now that he has maybe some of the rust shaken off, his conditioning is fully there. What you saw from Tyrese Halliburton. Last night, we're doing this on Tuesday, so in Monday's game, uh, was the best version of Tyrese Halliburton because he started the game getting everyone involved. You could look at the box score, and I think he only had five points at halftime, especially with their switches. He could take advantage of mismatches. He did that throughout the second half, and he was phenomenal, but then you just could not get enough stops. So, you know, big picture, I, I watched this team play for stretches, and I think this is still possible. They can still be that team that won 23 of the first 41 games and was, you know, sitting there in sixth and five games over 500. I see no reason why they can't still be that team because they have the same players. Their rookies have that much more experience. They could continue to do the things that they did well. Maybe there was a stretch in November where they got some wins with some schedule advantages, rest advantage, taking, you know, taking an opportunity to, you know, win games against, you know, Orlando and, and Houston while they were still young and trying to figure things out. But then again, there's enough of a sample size in January and February where I think you can catch yourself saying, oh, no, here we go again. Just could embrace the close situations in fourth quarters when they were closing out games and dominating in the clutch statistics. Now it's almost on the other end. And so I do think that you have to experience winning to learn, you know, have success in games to know that you can and you can do that. And you have to get back to that mindset of where you were when you were playing well. That being said, this is something I thought about, Pat, over the last week was when the season started, 
maybe there were teams that took the Pacers for granted. Shame on them if they did. Uh, maybe some of those games they lost because they didn't give the Pacers that full amount of respect. And then all of a sudden you're in a close game and the Pacers had momentum and the Pacers closed teams out. I don't think that that's possible anymore because now you prepare for the Pacers and you're preparing for a career year, Miles Turner, an all-star in Tyrese Halliburton, a rookie of the year candidate, sixth man of the year candidate in Benedict Matherin, and those guys that have the opponent's attention. So, and they also know what the Pacers do well and what are, what's their number one strength this year. It's fast break points. It's getting out in transition. And so I think you even shared the comment from JB Bickerstaff, I believe it was, or, or maybe it was, um, who was it trying to, uh, a coach that was saying before a game, we have to take away the Pacers transition game. And so teams are making sure they get back on defense. They make the Pacers execute in half court. And, and so there's a little bit of a, a time for the Pacers now to make an adjustment. So it's just been a little bit of a struggle. You feel this often in seasons, even successful ones, but it's been a little longer than I think anyone would have expected. And now you're trying to figure out how you can get back to where you were when things were going well. I think it was Bickerstaff. I didn't mean to leave you hanging there. I was racking my brain. <laughs> I paused. I was waiting for you to jump in. Yeah. I feel like that was too long ago, though. I, I, I knew you were. It's, it's funny how the games can sometimes kind of mesh together, especially when you have. Uh, this is not to was be it Wes Unsell Jr. the the Wizards. Uh, yeah, it might have been. It might have been Wes Unsell Jr. Uh, but but yeah, one one of those two guys. Wes Unsell Jr. definitely talked about it. I was. I, what what threw me off is I was thinking you uh, were hearing me say it on a sideline report at home. I was thinking of only home games, uh, but Wes Unsell Jr. definitely said that. Maybe it I, was maybe a I stat think. you shared on uh, the the group text that I'm sure many fans would wish they could subscribe to, where you and uh, very often you know spit out stats, and I uh, come in with some comic relief every once in a while, depending on the time of the day. And uh, you put out there some comments that you had heard. And I think it was from Wes Unsell Jr. Yes. maybe before the Wizards game. It was Wes Unsell Jr. But you hear that. Uh, the other reason I was just racking a brain is you hear it a lot. Like, I think Bickerstaff said something like that. It's, I think you might be onto something there, certainly with, look, now you've got all-star Tyrese Halliburton. As you said, Miles Turner, I think, is viewed in a different light. The Pacers as a whole are not viewed um, as the same team they probably were at the beginning of the season. And, you know, trends tend to develop as the season goes on as well. You're starting to hear these types of things more often from other coaches. It's why that name didn't immediately jump out to me because I'm, as I'm racking my brain, I'm thinking, well, gosh, I feel like I've heard four or five coaches say that in the last month. And as, as you try to, you know, I guess diagnose some of this and with the understanding that you and I will never see the game anywhere near um, a coach's level, I found something that the Pacers coach said kind of interesting and make a lot of sense, which is, and it's also interesting that he said it because at this almost the exact same time, I guess, I guess the day before, but both leading into uh, the Pacers and jazz game on Monday night, both Rick Carlisle and Will Hardy, the jazz coach referenced just razor thin margins. And they almost used the exact same quote. It's not the first time Rick Carlisle, uh, but he was essentially asked, the question that we're discussing right now, what has changed from the Pacers perspective, especially now that you've gotten Halliburton back? And he talked about the margins in the NBA with the parody of which Rick Carlisle believes the parody is greater than it's ever been. And it would be hard to argue that. And his point is the margins when you are winning, you can win six, seven and eight games in a row 
and you feel like you're on fire and you are, and you feel like you're dominating and you are. But if you look at a lot of those games, um, the margins of which you're winning by in the NBA are just so small. So even little changes in that can drastically turn a team that's winning eight out of 10 and, and feels like they're dominating and feels like they're certainly playoff bound uh, to one that right now is frankly struggling. And I've struggled to put my finger on it a little bit as well. One stat that's telling, and some of this is without Halliburton and it's tough to parse through all of that information and determine what's valuable because obviously this team is going to be nowhere near its normal self without Halliburton, but the Pacers were 16 and 10 uh, going into that Knicks game in the clutch. And this is a stat that we talked a ton about and still do. But I mean, I, I feel like I was saying the word clutch every three words from uh, December into <laughs> January. And it's because last year the Pacers were the worst clutch team in the NBA. And at 16 and 10, they were, I want to say sixth or maybe seventh in the NBA in their clutch rating, which is Essentially, when a game is within five points in the last five minutes, it qualifies as a clutch game. So if it's within five points at any time in the final five minutes of the game, it qualifies. And that was the Pacers record in games that had qualified. It was 16 and 10. Well, after last night's game, they're now two and eight since that game. So they're 18 and 18, which, by the way, if you had told me at the beginning of the season, the Pacers would be 18 and 18 after last year's season, after, uh, you know, just a really young team. I would have signed on the dotted line right then and there if you told me that in early October. So the 18 and 18 record um, is, I think, overall on balance, pretty decent. But the way it's happened, the 16 and 10 when you started the two and eight since that speaks to the margins. Right. I mean, you're still playing in a lot of close games. You were just winning most of those close games previously and losing a lot of them before that. So. I think uh, I think that has the most to do with it. You know, last night's game, granted, all these clutch games are not equal to. I mean, the Pacers were down by 12 in the fourth. You win maybe one of those 10 scenarios. So it's not like each clutch game is a 50-50 proposition. But the Pacers did get it down to two with plenty of time to still uh, overcome that deficit and couldn't get there. So I think that's the biggest thing to me. At times, you know, there maybe has been a little bit of slippage defensively. There was a lot of slippage defensively in the Wizards game. I thought they responded really well in the first half on Monday night and then fell back a little bit in the second half. But you're also doing that without Miles Turner. So it is, I guess, a little interesting because there's no glaring, at least to me, issue um, when you compare the beginning of the year team to the one since Halliburton has returned. But it does seem to be missing maybe just a little bit of the mojo, the magic, whatever word you want to use. It just feels like a little bit of that you had earlier in the season isn't quite at the level that it is now. And I think the best explanation for the change in record since Halliburton has come back are those clutch games. And I think the good news is the Pacers have shown they can win in those. They did it for three months at the beginning of the season. And the other thing I'll say is Halliburton was tremendous in the clutch last night. It didn't lead to a win. They had a big deficit. Again, not a 50-50 proposition type clutch game on Monday night. But Mark and Eddie, Mark Boyle and Eddie Gill kept referencing how many times Halliburton was taking it to the rim and how many times he was scoring and how often he wasn't uh, you know, settling for those three-point shots. I thought that was a clutch performance for the most part. Maybe not quite defensively, but I thought for the most part that was a clutch performance 
deserving of a win on Monday night. But the reason they didn't get it is because they dug themselves into too deep of a hole. If that had been a tie game or so going into five minutes to play, I think the Pacers win that. One thing we've seen in some of the slow starts is teams hit just incredible shots. Shot making has been phenomenal from some of the Pacers opponents. And you could say it's poor defense. And obviously it's it's defense that needs to improve. But I feel like some of these games, teams are just getting off to these great starts and they're hitting shots that you just you don't expect the percentages to go in as much as they are, especially in that Washington game. Uh, those percentages were off the charts. The same thing happened against Utah, but it was fourth quarter shot making. And I'll just go right to Jordan Clarkson because he was a guy that in the first half, I barely even knew he was on the court. And then all of a sudden he could do no wrong. And granted, that's what he does. He, he's a guy that is capable of that. But I was talking with Kristen Airy after the game and he brought up the stats that he had the day before in Madison's garden. And then if you consider where he was in the first half, you're almost going to go into the second half thinking, show us what you can do before we're going to worry about it. And then once he got hot, I think that's what tends to happen to the Pacers. And Utah is a team that has a lot of different guys they can put out there. So I, we, we don't need to belabor the point too much about that jazz game. It was just another one of these situations where, as you said, as Rick Carlisle said, the margin for error is very small and some of these runs are just too much to overcome. And then in that specific game, Tyrese, how the early fourth quarter was the problem. There were just not enough good offensive possessions. You allowed Utah to get a, a double digit lead. Tyrese Halliburton comes in and chips away, but then you just could never get, you know, two or three stops in a row, which is what you need when you're down possessions. I do want to go. It seems like over the last two months, even though, especially in the 2023 portion of the schedule, it hasn't been highly successful from a Pacers perspective. It does seem like we do this weekly podcast and we can say often a lot has happened since we last talked and a lot has happened since we last did a podcast last week and you think about no wins, but the trade deadline happened and Kevin Pritchard talked and then Rick Carlisle followed up and I think backed up some of the comments from Kevin Pritchard. And this is one thing I did want to say, and I appreciate having this platform to be able to maybe after some days, after some time has sunk in. And then I, I observe sometimes some of the reactions from fans on social media and, you know, when things are not going well, team player or, Fans, I should say, tend to tend to overreact, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of being a fan. But specifically, go back and listen to what Kevin Pritchard said on Friday after the trade deadline. And it did sound like there were two distinct options. And one was to acquire a significant upgrade, the kind of player who would maybe immediately go into your starting lineup. And it wouldn't have been a win-now move. It would have been a win as much as you can now but set you up for the next couple of seasons. And this was a point that I made prior to the trade deadline that, you know, I, I think I threw that out there and you pulled that quote for the graphic that was um, shared on Twitter about the 2024, 2025 season as being the goal. If the Pacers made a really big move at the deadline for a player that would have gone into the starting lineup, and that's what I'm going to call high profile, it would have been someone that, you know, would still be around for that season and could help you now. But they did not. Kevin Pritchard acknowledged some offers were made. They went for it. It takes two to tango, his words. And I appreciated him being forthcoming with that, just to let people know they were considering some options. When those did not happen, 
then you and you could probably guess to who those players might be. I have, you know, it seems kind of obvious with some of the reporting that's come out. And I don't think anyone on the current roster could be offended or upset if if that got out. And we've not heard any specific players that were bandied about. Maybe it was all future draft picks. Who really knows? But all that all that really matters now is you did not get one of those players. You got some future assets and a young potential uh, rotation player in Jordan Wara. And you'll have another opportunity with Jordan Wara, just like you did with Jalen Smith, just like you did with Aaron Neesmith, to see and evaluate a young player that you've liked since the draft. And you've liked since he has had some good games uh, against the Bucks. But you also heard Kevin Pritchard say, and Rick Carlisle, in the day's deadline, we're going to get our young guys this opportunity. They did not hesitate. Jordan Moore is going to play over these final two months of the season. And while not specifically guaranteeing Jalen Smith or Isaiah Jackson playing time, I think there are going to be games Daniel Tice plays, and there are going to be games that Jackson and and Jalen Smith play. And maybe you're going to see some bigger lineups at times, and you're going to get opportunities for some of these young players. But just because there is one particular game, and maybe I could point to the Jazz game where Chris Duarte did not play and George Hill, well, you know, I think rightfully so. Got a chance to come back. He's embracing Indiana. He got some minutes. And everyone, I think, is kind of freaking out that if you're building for the future, why do you not let your young players play? I really did like what Rick Carlisle said about you you can't just give playing time with no consequences. You have to earn the playing time still. And I even can go back to the game with last week in Miami. Everyone was freaking out about the minutes played from Benedict Matherin. You still have to learn in the course of a season. And, and there is no better teaching point than to take playing time away if you need to improve on some things. And I think Benedict Matherin has improved since that game when he did not play as much as maybe fans would have liked. He's played every game this season. So to complain and sit here and say, well, I can't believe that you would not have Benedict Matherin play enough minutes in a team that's, that's building for the future. I think he's getting a pretty fair amount of experience. And I'm not sure one game in February playing 18 minutes instead of 26 minutes is going to hinder Benedict Matherin's development. So let's just say that right there. Let's just kind of back off the panic meter a little bit. I want to see Chris Duarte over the final two months of the season. I think we will see Chris Duarte, but with everyone healthy, you're not going to play 11 or 12 guys in a game. So one game we might see, another game we might not. Do I want to see more from Jalen Smith than I've seen over the last month? Obviously. You want to know what you have. You want to know if he's someone that can be a rotation player moving forward. But I do think the perspective, the calculus has changed a little bit since last Friday, since Tyrese Halliburton's injury. And let's not just freak out about every single playing time decision or minutes played in the box score for any particular game. I think everyone's going to get their chances. It's a deep roster. You want to keep everyone engaged. You want to go to go into a game where you say, Hey, be ready. If I call your number, I don't think George Hill's going to play. I think he'll probably just to guess, have more DNP coaches decisions than games that he plays moving forward, probably by a significant margin, but just because he got out there and played and provided some veteran leadership and had a, had a moment for the crowd to welcome him back. There's nothing wrong with that, if you ask me. And I'll 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 continue to argue that with anyone that wants to really panic and freak out about that. Yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying here. And and let's just look at the numbers that the minute Carlisle has to give out the numbers of players on this roster. 
even if you were to say George Hill, James Johnson, Daniel Tice uh, don't play, which is totally going to happen. But even if you say that's the case with Jordan Wara now in the mix and with the Pacers being a lot more young and, and hopefully knock on wood here healthy, they just got a lot of players that are available for minutes that are young and it's not possible to get them all in as long as they knock on wood stay healthy we're going to see Jordan War in the mix more often we're going to see um, you know a lot of these younger guys perhaps start to get more minutes and so even if you take out the veteran portion of this there still aren't the minutes to go around to give everybody 30 or so minutes a game 20 or so minutes a game I think it's where having Rick Carlisle on this staff is so valuable and not just that but each of the assistant coaches on this staff has had head coaching experience, right? Jenny Busick's done it at the WNBA level. Mike Weiner um, has done it at the uh, summer league level. And of course, Lloyd Pierce has been an NBA head coach before. So every single one of those assistants knows what it's like to be the head coach. And Rick Carlisle is a Hall of Fame caliber head coach. If you had a younger coach in here who was just starting, I'm not saying guys like that can't work. They're working all over the NBA. Will Hardy may be a very good example of this. But in a situation with a Benedict Matherin where Rick Carlisle is maybe trying to hammer home a point that perhaps he feels like is going to allow this guy to elevate his career, um, to be the type of player that he feels like he can be, which, by the way, I think everybody uh, in that building feels like Benedict Matherin can be an all-star, a multi-time all-star type player, then Rick Carlisle, he has the pedigree, he has the experience to do something like that that I think would be a little bit tougher if you had a staff and a head coach with a lot less experience. This guy's coached Dirk Nowitzki. He's coached Jason Kidd. He's coached Jermaine O'Neal, Reggie Miller. I mean, tons of Hall of Famers he's had under his wings and develop them. And so if you're Benedict Mather, and I think it's very easy to look at something that Rick Carlisle says and, and maybe be frustrated in the moment, but at the same time, understand, look, this guy has developed greats. He's won a championship. He's a hall of fame caliber head coach. And all of my assistants have had that experience too. And so I think what you, what you said is exactly correct. No one is going to remember a game in February where he maybe didn't play 20 minutes. Rick Carlisle thinks very highly of Benedict Matherin, and I do think developing him is a major point of this season. It's maybe one of the top three or four goals you want to achieve. Um, and at the same time, you want to do that the right way. You only get one year. You hear it all the time. You only get one chance to make a first impression. You only get one year to set the foundation uh, on on something like this. And so I think it's extremely and it's why I almost tend to go the other direction. Like when this is happening, something like this is happening, I almost view it as a positive because I think to myself, well, what if a different coach was in this spot that didn't feel like he could pull that off? Well, then would bad habits start to linger? Then would, um, you know, a player like Matherin potentially not get um, the feedback that he needs to improve because that coach is young and doesn't feel like um, he has the experience to say what he needs to say and perhaps is worried for his own job and his own career. Rick Carlisle's at a point in his career where he doesn't need to worry about those type of things. So I, I do think it's, uh, you know, at, at times if the minutes have been short, it's tough love to try to develop some, you know, areas and some habits in a player like Matherin perhaps that um, help turn him into the star that I think everybody believes that he can be. So we're coming up on the all-star break here. I think that Chicago game will be um, pretty 
to the point in the year where you start to look at games like the one perhaps Saturday in Washington and you say, okay, this is a team right around you in the standings. There's only 25 or so games left to go in the season. These start to matter a little bit more. Tiebreak was on the line, for example, on Wednesday. Uh, Tiebreak will be on the line with Chicago on Wednesday. And all of these games where you're playing teams around you, if you win them, you move up one and they move down one. And obviously the opposite is true if you lose them. So I do think you're to the point in the season where you're looking at games and specifically opponents and marking or highlighting this game as more important. I think you'll get that with Wednesday against Chicago. And I think it could be an impactful game, not only from a standings perspective, but also do you go into the all-star break after having dropped six straight? Or do you feel like that you've maybe started to take a step in the right direction before that week off? I think that week off is going to come at a good time for the Pacers either way. But I do I, I do look at Wednesday's game and maybe it as one of the handful of more important games in the season, just where the Pacers are from a, a momentum perspective, where they are in the standings, where Chicago is in the standings, and where this game comes on the schedule. So those are essentially my final thoughts, JJ, here on what we've seen the last week plus or so. The only other thing I want to add is you were talking about Kevin Pritchard there, and I personally was really glad to hear him say exactly what he said because we get asked the question all the time when we do the radio hits, what are the Pacers going to do at the trade deadline? And my answer always has been, and I've been pretty sure that this is the feeling of the front office, but you never know 100% because we aren't in the front office. But my overriding theme has constantly been that I think the Pacers are willing to make a move to win now. But if they make a move to bring in a guy that helps them win now, that the bigger picture is more important than that. They're not necessarily everything this year they're looking at two three four years into the future and if that guy is impactful then and he also helps now great so they labeled a couple of guys it didn't work out with those couple of guys and the one thing you don't want your front office doing we see what feels to me like a couple of teams do this each year and it tends to burn them more than it works out is get desperate and give up too much for a guy um, who perhaps is overpaid or perhaps is a little past his prime because these teams feel like they are in a spot where they've got to do something now. The Pacers are in a great position because they hold the cards in where their build is right now. They don't have to go out and make a move for a 33-year-old vet um, to try to help them win this season. Everything is with the bigger picture in mind. Maybe the 24-25 season specifically, as you noted last week. Uh, and so those guys that they maybe were looking at fit that timeline. It didn't work. You put you pivot to plan B plan B is acquire some assets, get another guy in the rotation um, who can hopefully be helpful. And Pritchard said it after signing Turner a couple of weeks ago, he prefers to do stuff in the off season. Anyway, um, there's a little less pressure. You don't have to break up the locker room significantly. So I do think, um, you know, his plan a ideally is to make a plan a type move over the summer. Absolutely. And you think of the assets that they will have, they, almost have to make some kind of move because I don't know that they'll have the roster spot to take on as many draft picks as they will have. So they have some optionality. They have some ability to make a move. And I really think you'll see not a remake of the roster, but you'll see a significant addition or two to go along with the foundation that you're building. And any any good rebuild takes a little bit of time. You're not going to just all of a sudden have an entire team and and then watch that team grow, you're going to gradually um, remake the roster a little bit. And so you'll see some more 
in the summer. I look forward to watching. And I think your point on Miles Turner was one that we should add into the pre-trade deadline discussion because they use that cap space to get Miles Turner a new deal that also benefits them over the next couple of seasons, gives some stability at the five position. And they also took advantage of that cap space with that move with Milwaukee to get Jordan Ward, George Hill, and, and those future assets. Not to say anything about any other franchise, but the Spurs had a lot of cap space, and I believe they didn't really use it on it. They still have an opportunity. Um, but I do like that they were able – the Pacers were one of those teams that had the cap space. They used it to their advantage, and that sets them up for the summer. Let's set up the weekend. It's going to be really fun to watch the all-star festivities in Salt Lake City and also project ahead to what might happen or what will happen in 2024 in Indianapolis. It feels like we've been talking about this upcoming star game in Indianapolis for so long, but it is, they will be, they're in the on-deck circle right now and they will be next up as of Monday. So I look forward to really having the next all-star game in Indianapolis, but also watching the Indiana representation in Salt Lake City. And you're going to have Tyrese Halliburton in the game. You're going to have, Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nemhard and the Rising Stars. As of the time of this recording, we cannot officially say what will be happening on Saturday, but there will be some Pacers representation on All-Star Saturday night. So there's nothing better than an All-Star weekend where you've got to tune in and cheer for your Pacers every single night of the festivities. And it, the order and the schedule of events has changed over the years, Pat, but they're going to have a player draft right before the game on Sunday. So if you were in the Pacers team store last night, as I was, you see two different colors of Tyrese Halliburton jerseys. We don't know if he's going to wear the orange shaded jersey (laughs) or the blue shaded jersey. Orange, it looks like, will be Team Giannis. Blue will be Team LeBron. So whichever jersey you have, I think it still counts as his all-star jersey, but he'll only be able to wear one of those (laughs) uniforms, and it'll happen right before tip-off, which is a nice, nice touch for this year's game. I know the NBA has plenty of money to pull this off, but it just sounds like a logistical nightmare. You have to have two jerseys of everything, and then you have to have everybody go get them their jerseys uh, right before the game. But, hey, maybe maybe it adds intrigue, right? Like you don't know who you're going to be playing with and what team you're going to be playing on until right before the game. So this was your idea. You came up with it last night. You want to essentially uh, put ourselves in the captain's chair, right? And you want to do a draft here of the players. And just to be clear um, – Correct me if I'm wrong here. We are not taking the place of LeBron James. So we we are taking the place of like one one level above and and a captain, for example, like James could be drafted. Oh, correct? Okay. Yeah, I was going to say that that's true, because if if you're Giannis or I'm LeBron. OK, that, that, that's a good deal. So we're going to well, do I can, I can do it either way. I can do it either way. Do you want to be Giannis and LeBron and pick everybody else? Or do you want to start above that and pick Giannis and LeBron? Uh, you know what? I, I'm going to just uh, I'm going to to use my uh, veteran experience here, and I'm going to say that I'm Giannis because that's my preference. And um, you just didn't want to be LeBron. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this had nothing to do with the betterment of the format. It's just everything to do with you not being LeBron. That's fair. You can be no, honest. And all credit to the, the league's all time leading score. But I'm going to be honest. Okay, well, I will be the league's all time leading score. So take that. <laughs> but I will allow you to flip a coin to see who gets first pick. All right, I've got my coin uh, in my hand, and uh, do you want heads or tails? Uh, heads. Okay. Oh, 
It is rolling. It is rolling. And it is heads. So you get the right. first pick. So, so the I'll way get the I think first we're doing pick. this. You'll get is, two, and then we'll go two at a time from that point forward. Uh, yeah. That, you, I'll do two, three, and you'll do four, five, right? And then we'll just keep going that way? Yep. Okay. So you're, you're Giannis. I am the league's all-time leading scorer, so let me uh, mark those off or on my list. Or should the snake just go for that first pick? Should we just go alternate? I don't remember. We probably yeah, should have discussed I don't discussed know exactly this. how they do this. But if, if you just take the first pick, and then we'll go two from there, right? I'll take okay. two, you take two, you take two, I'll take two. And we start with the starters. And we start with the starters, correct. All right. So my, with the first pick in the... 2023 All-Star Draft, Team Giannis, Team Johnson selects Jason Tatum. Oh, okay. What's your reasoning there? I think his game is uh, well-suited for the All-Star Showcase, and it does feel like, you know, he Kobe's his idol, and Kobe's had some some pretty memorable All-Star games. He's capable of putting up. 40 points in a game like this. And so it, sometimes it also does set the set the stage for maybe some additional, maybe MVP votes or uh, maybe projecting out towards an NBA finals run. So I, I just, I got a feeling about Jason Tatum in this game. All right. So uh, with the second pick, hold on, let me, I'm scrolling right now. The two of us have combined for 38,390 career points. Team James slash Boylan will select Luka Doncic with their first pick. Uh, Would have been my second pick, so solid selection there, Pat. I, I like the all-around game of Doncic. Uh, he can pass. He can rebound. He, of course, can score. He has some flair, which works in the All-Star game. Uh, so I will pick Doncic. And with my second pick... I will keep the international theme rolling, and I will go with Nikola Jokic. Now, uh, it's it's two guards and three forwards, right? He fits into either three front court players. Is that is that how we're doing this? I'm not sure that there's a requirement in the draft to split your lineup in accordingly. Okay. Well, still, you want you know you don't want five guards. Uh, yeah, but you so. got that's. I, I feel like you could actually do that in the uh, the small ball boiling. Maybe. James lineup in the all-star game. Well, uh, then if you're going to do five guards, I'm just going to pound you on the glass. So I've got Jokic, James, <laughs> and Doncic. So now you have uh, two picks. But I feel like I'm set you up. You know there's with... unwritten rules in the all-star game. We can't play too hard on the glass. Uh, well, maybe I'm drafting guys that aren't going to follow the rules. Okay. So I have two picks, <laughs> and I have Jason Tatum. I'm going to... I'm going to go with someone that uh, I've been real impressed with this season. Maybe wants to get his franchise some spotlight on the big stage. And also is back in Salt Lake City, which I think means a lot to him. Donovan Mitchell. I like it. That was my next pick as well. I'm going to have some real scoring punch. I know you've got Doncic, but you've also got some passing there with Jokic. Um, My second selection in this round. I'm tempted to go with another incredible playmaker, but I do worry a little bit about, uh, you know, only one basketball in that starting five. And I do worry a little bit about your rebounding. So let's go with Joel Embiid. Okay. So Joel Embiid is off the board. Okay. So just to make sure that we are. I've I've already got myself. I mean, I've got Giannis. So, I mean, I, I 
forget about that. Right, right. Yeah, you're Giannis and I'm James. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so you've got three guys. I've got three guys. I've got Doncic, James, Jokic. You've got and you've Giannis. got a bum ankle. Yeah, well, you know, I, I we'll we'll just deal with it. It's the All Star game. We'll figure <laughs> it out. So we are we are <laughs> we're missing. Four guys here, right? So the, the starters that we have left to pick from are Laurie Markinen, John Morant, uh, Kyrie Irving, and who am I missing here? That's it. That's it? Yeah, because you got two picks and I get the last one. Okay. Um, then my selections will be, you know, along the theme that you just stated. Now, this guy, from a talent perspective... You know, we're, we're talking about all-stars here. So when I say from a talent perspective, if you are the lowest of the all-stars, you're still, like, insanely talented. And we saw how good this guy was just on Monday. However, there's a lot that goes into an all-star game, right? Like, I remember one, uh, the, maybe the year after, or was it, was he still with the Pacers? Or was it the year they just after they traded him where Paul George decided that he was going to go for MVP and he was still exactly. pretty young then? Mm-hmm. So you, you got to take things like that into the equation. And just as I think Donovan Mitchell is going to be fired up, to play in SLC, I think that Laurie Markkinen is going to be really pumped up to play in SLC. The home team player always wants to put on a good performance. The coaches have tons of pressure, huge pressure to play this guy, like like NBA Finals Game 7 pressure to play Markkinen as many minutes as possible. So uh, while, while if, if you said rank the guys 1 through 22 by talent, Markkinen would probably be in my bottom third or quarter. I'm going to go with Markinen, and so uh, so we're just missing uh, Morant and Irving, correct? Yeah, kind of two guys not not high on the likability meter over the last few weeks. <laughs> My uh, <laughs> real quick down a rabbit hole. I've got a good friend of mine. His name is Timmy Fogarty, and his dad Tim is a uh, he passed away last October, uh, but he was a longtime IHSAA ref and a longtime college basketball ref. And he actually got a role in the movie Hoosiers. And he's not the ref that comes over to the bench uh, to Normandale, but he is one of the refs that you can see in the movie. And the reason I'm saying all that is first a a memorial and a shout out to the great uh, Big Tim. But also, can I say my team is on the floor and pick neither? (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I will... Shout out Big Tim. I uh, met him in a hospitality room at the, uh, I think the Lafayette Jeff Regional once and uh, had a great conversation with him. And (laughs) at the time, little Tim was a prospective broadcaster getting ready to go up a college visit or a job shadow day at Fox 59. So go way back. One of the great IHSA officials and actors now I learn. And that's a that's a good little antidote you added in here. You have to take one of them. Okay, I will take John Morant. All right. Which gives will, you Kyrie uh, Irving, right? I will be forced to take Kyrie Irving, and I will uh, – um, I'll just wait and see if he's actually going to show up and play. <laughs> you, you, your four might be on the floor by default. <laughs> <laughs> you, might not, you might not even get to declare that. So. Exactly. Now okay, I get so, the first pick of the reserves, correct? Right. This is a real valuable pick, I feel. So, All right, uh, so don't, I'm going to go Tyrese, and I'm going to actually kind of hope maybe Kyrie gets the non-COVID illness, and I can yeah. substitute Tyrese into the starting lineup. Yeah, that's a good pick. Uh, so what when you originally brought this up, I 
didn't consider the the format totally. And I just ranked everybody one through 22 and then remembered we have to do the starters first. So I've been kind of like looking between my list and the starters and Halliburton was the top guy that I had left on my list. So if you didn't take him there, I was going to take him. So good pick. <laughs> I mean, we are a Pacers broad. We are a Pacers podcast, but uh, I think Tyrese, the way he runs and the way he passes, there are going to be three or four uh, trending highlights that are, Tyrese Halliburton assists in the All-Star game, and I think it'll be fun to watch, and I can't wait to see what happens. Yeah, and and I think having a good passer is always a good thing to have in the All-Star game because you have a ton of guys around you that are um, obviously capable of scoring. And so somebody like Halliburton, you know, everybody in this list can score, but not everybody in this list can pass uh, at the level of Halliburton. So we're a little biased. I think that's a good pick also because, again, I I think when you get younger guys, like they're still – this is uh, this is exciting for Halliburton than it is for LeBron James, probably. So, hey, you have the chance of Halliburton saying, hey, I want to show what I can do on this big stage, whereas LeBron James has shown what he can do on just about every big stage. So yeah. in general, uh, I yes, we're a little biased and I really like the pick. That said, I will go with, you know, I'm going a little bit against what I just said, but I feel like this guy's skill set really works for the All-Star game. I feel like um, there, I would have picked maybe the only player in the world that's better than him at what he does specifically, but that player is injured. Uh, so my first of two picks here is going to be Damian Lillard. Good pick. And so that is, I guess he's my starting backup point guard. I feel like this is a fantasy football draft where we just sit around and compliment each other on their great selection. <laughs> yeah, now I'm uh, I'm admittedly in a in a spot here where I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I am going to take uh, I'm going to take maybe a little bit recency bias here, but okay, hear me out. Not a ton of defense in the All-Star game, right? But at some point, like, the guys start to D up just a little bit. And you're going to want some guys, in my opinion, who can D up a little bit when necessary. My front court is Markinen and Jokic that start. Really like those two, but, like, I want a sub who can come in and maybe play a little more defense if necessary. So, I'm going to select Bam Adebayo, and that's earlier than I would have him if we were doing, if we were ranking these guys by talent. But we're picking a team here. We need this to fit. So I think uh, if if you get out to an early lead, and I'm desperate for some stops, I'm gonna maybe take Markin or Jokic out and put Bam in there in his place. So Bam is my selection. I think that's a solid pick, uh, especially when we. Heard a lot of comments from Rick Carlisle before the last Heat game about how he also can take the ball up the floor. You could see him getting a rebound and going coast to coast. And when the time calls for some defense, it would be good to have Bam Adebayo on your side. So I like that. I'm going to go with an injury replacement, someone who probably deserved to be in the All-Star game. And I I admit, the All-Star game, I I like it lately that the fourth quarters have been really intense. But the first three quarters sometimes end, end up being who can make the the best highlight reel that will trend on social media. I think Ant-Man, Anthony Edwards, will have a few of those dunks in this game. I think this could be the coming out party for him, at least on the big stage. Uh, Everybody knows who he is. He's a number one draft pick, so he's not taking anything 
anyone by surprise. But uh, I think he has a chance to be in, uh, let's say, 10 All-Star games moving forward. Real talent. Let's go with Anthony Edwards with that selection. And I'm kind of debating a little bit on this, but I do think um, you need a little bit of defense on the wing. There are so many explosive scorers. I'm going to consider and hope that he's 100%. And while maybe not going into this game thinking I need to win the MVP, I'm hoping that he can at least contribute a good 20 minutes of two-way play and make sure, sure everyone remembers I'm still here. That's Paul George. Oh, man. We are... We're on the same page here. Those are uh, I had three that I was considering for this these next two selections, and you picked two of them. And I thought, like I thought, Paul George might be up there, but I really kind of thought I could bury Edwards just a little bit longer and get him later in the draft. So uh, you did a good job of snatching those guys up, and and I wrote a lot of I wrote reasons next to a lot of the guys why I might select them, and your reasons were exactly why I was picking those two as well. So. Uh, we are down That's that sideline guys synergy. Yeah. Yeah. So we are down to five players left. Um, and since you took Paul George from me, I am going to go with what I feel like is the next best thing. And looking at my list here, uh, you can maybe make a case for, well, at least at the wing position, you can maybe make a case for one more guy. But um, since we are running low on, I got defensive, nine guys left. One, two, three, one, five. Well, you have four and I have five. Sorry, I meant, oh. I meant five for me. Correct. Five for okay. me, four for you. Yeah, yep. so we're running low on two-way stoppers. I, of course, have LeBron James. Um, but again, I need to field a defensive lineup if necessary. So Jalen Brown is going to be my first pick there to make sure you don't monopolize the two-way wings. And let's see. Um... I will take with my second pick. Okay. Uh, This guy, I feel like, is also going to be in the category. He's been showing everybody that he's capable of something that is beyond what I think even maybe his most ardent fans would have thought. He's been doing this all year. And so under the theme of this guy is out to prove something, and hopefully he'll do that in the All-Star game, so I'm going to take him maybe a touch higher than I normally would. I'm going to select Shea Gilgis Alexander. He has had a phenomenal year. He's near the top of the NBA in the scoring charts. He's the reason the Thunder have a chance to make the playoffs. And I think this is a guy who's going to remember he was in the Paul George deal. So now uh, that trade netted the Thunder, also a ton of picks, but it netted them uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, who's also an all star and maybe will go up against uh, your selection of Paul George. I had already written that down before you even said it. I knew where you were going. Again, we're we're like sideline guys. We sit next to each other at the games. <laughs> we think alike. And so I uh, cannot fault your selection. One, I'm going to light the beam with back-to-back Sacramento oh, no. Kings selections. And I'm going to start with the worst three-time All-Star in NBA history. <laughs> um, that's just a nod to uh, Nate Duncan, who, when DeMontis Sabonis made the All-Star team, said he would go down as the worst All-Star. I haven't heard much from Nate Duncan lately, um, and I do not think anything disparagingly about DeMontis Sabonis. I needed a good big man passer, seeing that you've got Jokic and also the guy, Bam, that can – dribble up and down the court. So uh, I know Sabonis, the two previous All-Star games, maybe didn't put up big numbers. I think he's going to step up and and have a little bigger role in this one. 
and uh, playing alongside De'Aaron Fox. Uh, we'll go with both of the Kings. Okay. I like the selections there. Um, I like you lighting the beam with one big pick. And, uh, you know, the, the list of guys that have made three all-star games in their career is pretty dang short relative to the guys that have been in the NBA. So I guess it's like calling somebody the poorest billionaire. Yeah, just can like I that. clarify? I am I am not saying anything bad about Domas. I do not think of him as the worst three-time all-star. That is just meant as satire for someone who offered some ridiculous and unwarranted <laughs> criticism and now is proving to be wrong. Um, this, as you know, as well as I do, this podcast tends to lend itself to the diehard. So I think, I think most people do get your reference, but yes. Okay. So, uh, I have, what do I have three picks left? So, okay. Um, I would, <laughs> I'm not even sure I, I'm marking these off correctly. So there, there are two guys that I want here and then I'm not of an issue when we get to the end and <laughs> need your help here. I'm a, I'm a horrible drafter. I would not be fun to be in a fantasy league with in an in-person draft. Uh, my two selections are going to be two guys that are, I think, a little bit similar, versatile type uh, fours. Maybe you could play them at fives. They play a little bit of five for their team when necessary. I like the versatility. I like the, the relative youth. Um, pretty good defenders. I'm going to take Man, this this guy feels like he should be on your team. JJJ, uh, Jaron <laughs> Jackson Jr. Sorry to steal the JJ from you. In fact, he's one more J than you are. And I will take uh, Pascal Siakam. All right. Will you tell me who's left? Because I only have one name left on my sheet. Ah, gotcha. They, uh, Drew Holiday, Julius Randle, ah. and DeMar DeRozan are still remaining. Drew Holiday. And Julius Randle, both of them. But they, uh, as much as I like those guys, especially Holiday, I did not make the wrong pick, at least for what I would have done. So you got two of those three, and then I get who's left over. Yep. I'll go with uh, Drew Holiday and DeMar DeRozan. Uh, Drew is the one I really actually thought about taking earlier because, um, you know, getting back to the fourth quarter, I could see him being on the court when defense matters. And he's, he's just phenomenal. I was glad to see him get that nod. Although I will admit going back to when they revealed the all-star reserves and when his name popped on the screen, I did, uh, I did kind of get a little worried that that was the guard <laughs> spot that would go to Tyrese Halliburton, but I'm, I'm kind of glad to see Drew Holiday in. I'm glad Tyrese is in and I'm glad to have Drew Holiday on my team. And I uh, will go, we'll give a nod to the veteran DeMar DeRozan um, that will be here. Um, although he left the game on Monday with an injury, so we'll see if he plays against the Pacers on Wednesday night. But uh, I'll uh, let you have uh, the Knicks all-star. You know, it's interesting because Randall and um, DeRozan are both very good players and deserving all-stars. But uh, the reason I had them at the bottom of my list is you just don't really – neither of them are, are very flashy. And so in an all-star game where flash and zest kind of rule the day, uh, that's also why they were at the bottom – of my list, but two guys that, uh, you know, have, have been there before and are key players on their team. So, uh, I don't, maybe, maybe we'll list our teams in the comment section or something. And, and you guys I think can we tell need me, to, we need to have a vote. Yeah. How badly Jeremiah beat me here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is definitely more your territory than mine, but see in a draft like this, unlike fantasy football with a bunch of teams or, or something like that, 
you know, you, you can't go wrong with 12 all-stars. So I feel yeah. pretty good about my team. Uh, you should be. I mean, you should, You'll lose, Martin, but I mean, you should feel good. <laughs> okay, okay, that's fair. Maybe we can, uh, you know what we should do? I don't have the Simulated on 2K. Yeah, yeah. I don't have the newest 2K, but. Uh, if if you have it, you could feel free to simulate it. I don't know if you... Or we could have one of our uh, listeners go ahead and do the work for us. That's a good idea. Maybe maybe we can even... Uh, Provide offer. a Pat Boylan autograph photo that I've still got. I was going to say something of value. But if, <laughs> if, if, if you have 2K and you hear this and you're still listening, which props to you if that's the case, and you want to simulate this game, like maybe play computer, computer... Uh, and tell us who wins. We'll find something of more value than an autographed photo of me to give you. And I guess you and I will just sit back and we'll wait to see how dedicated our listeners are. Exactly. I I actually feel like I'm I might hear crickets on that one. Yeah, that one. That that's a lot. Big of ass. Like, it's one thing to say. It's another thing to say. Put. 12 guys on teams on 2k and run a simulation and spend two hours we'll give you something good if you pull it off and you give us like screen grabs uh we'll give you something good so absolutely jj hope you have a nice all-star break i think it's always i mean man it just comes so late this year but it's always a good time i think for everybody to just kind of catch their breath and um it really is a sprint here uh, to the finish once we get through the break it is. I'm, I'm looking forward to the weekend, a little bit of a break, and I am looking forward to the sprint to the finish. I love March NBA action. I, I just love basketball in that month, to be perfectly honest with you, with the college tournaments and um, even in the late February with the girls IHSA um, starting. I feel like that's sort of the beginning of uh, the state finals at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, usually late February, going all the way into early April. It's it's great for a basketball fan, and I love the NBA being right in the heart of that. And hey, you know, there are, there are still 23 games left, and so just like uh, in December when Tyrese Halliburton made that comment about changing the tenor of the season, there anything is possible, and I'll be good with whatever ends up happening. Very well said. For Jeremiah Johnson, I'm Pat Boylan. We hope you all have a nice All Star break. Enjoy the festivities over the weekend, and. We'll be back with you here soon. This is the Sideline Guys, powered by Game.